0: Mm-hmm. Transmitting higher top of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet, this is Alpha Mike and you're listening to Raider Cop Podcast. Episode 145, The Shit Show, Part 2. What are we going to discuss today? Well, at length, we're going to continue to discuss what we're seeing on television, what we're witnessing as a country, how a specific Communist element is trying to eliminate policing as we know it in America. We'll review some of those cases. We're also going to do a little review of what we did in part one, and then we're going to dive into part two. There will be a part three of the shit show, and that will feature none other than Wonder Woman and possibly Kilo Sierra. Now, we might have them on part three or based on the amount of information that we have. Because remember, we're constrained to about 35, 40 minutes of uh, information. Then we might have a part uh, four. But that is to be determined. But um, they've elected to come on and they, they want to share some of their points of view as well, and we're happy to have them uh, come on here. So, you know, I've never ceases to amaze me how the Democratic left can't resist a grand opportunity to exploit things, and they are. Congress, local communities police departments, all around the nation, all of a sudden are on speed typing 101, hurry up and get the reform done before lunch. And what's amazing to me is a lot of the reforms are window dressing that are already in statutory law, And it's being disguised as something is being done. Uh, What is the little slogan now? The eight can't wait. Biggest bunch of BS I've ever seen. And um, we're going to attack that. Not on this show. But it's going to come in three and four. Because I'm really going to break it down. The hypocrisy of what that is so look they've already hung themselves these chiefs of police and all these mayors are out there you know toting that this is what they're doing and no more chokeholds and all this baloney and um so there's time to wait as some more people take a jump off the plank into the ocean and uh, we'll get them on the on the rebound on episode three or possibly four. So, but today we got a lot to talk about. All right, listen. I don't know if you notice, in between coronavirus, wearing a mask, and having to take those precautions, but if you have a criminal mind or law enforcement mind. You see everybody going around wearing a mask. You even see people driving wearing a mask, which is, and they're in the car by themselves, which is in itself amazing. But it senses trouble. In some states, it's illegal, statutorily illegal to wear a mask in public. Of course, this is coronavirus, and this is a national emergency, so therefore we just push that law to the side because this is for public health. But what a great opportunity to mask yourself to commit a crime. Wouldn't it be? And I don't know if you've noticed, lately there's been a lot of riots, battery assaults, shootings. Uh, breaking of property, damaging uh, public vehicles, public buildings, private entities, department stores, and people getting hurt in the middle of it. Saw a video of the Guardian Angels, 40 years protecting civilians as volunteers, getting everything but the kitchen sink thrown at them in New York City. They held their ground. The rioters, a.k.a. the commies, could not penetrate the guardian angel's defense. Kudos to them. But today is a day that I want to briefly talk to you about the importance of being a concealed carry permit holder. Now, with the USCCA, and I am a part of it, so that's my disclaimer, and you can become a part of it also today, and I'll explain how. It's very easy. We do get a percentage or small portion of uh, if you become a member through our site or, or how I tell you to, and that, of course, will help us in um, providing more shows and, and other entities that we're looking to get into. I'm not going to be rich on it, I could tell you that, and that's not the purpose. But I actually believe that the purpose is educating Americans on wearing and being a legal uh, carrier of the Second Amer- Amendment concealed carry But today you need more than ever protection, not only with a weapon to protect yourself, but you also need insurance. And that insurance policy guarantees legal protection. Because I can assure you, as one commie lawyer I saw in an interview doing research for some of these podcasts, that he was so braggadacious and so out of his own suit, to state that up to 6,000 lawsuits are ready to come out during all these riots and demonstrations. So don't kid yourself folks, it's the left, they're coming at us at different angles not only trying to scare you and terrorize you they're also going to come at you legally so all these lawsuits are going to really take its toll on the criminal justice system so being a concealed carry member can you imagine pulling out a gun and trying to defend yourself what do you think They're crucifying police officers with the legal authority to take out a weapon, stop a subject at any cost if great bodily harm is present. They're firing them and arresting them within 24 hours. So imagine you. There might be a public execution. They might even... They'll just disarm you and put you up against a wall. You know, you want a cigarette? Yes or no? And bomb, you're gone. So today, more than ever, you need that legal protection. And we are strong advocates of the USCCA. As I said, we are part of the affiliate program. And I'm not hiding it. And I'm not ashamed of it. So if you simply just dial text from your cell phone to 87222, 87222. The word Raider. That will link you to the USCCA and you can go ahead and start to become a member and it links our group to that membership. You can also do it online. On the bottom of the show notes, there will be a logo there for USCCA and you can uh, join there. 350,000 members have signed up to the USCCA. So, I encourage you to think about it today all right so um, we're gonna break down real quick and then we're gonna start our show on what we covered last um, show last episode and these are the items that we discussed So a little review little review might be a test on the final one so pay attention kids George Floyd's arrest and death We discussed um, the little to no resistance level and how do you justify, as an officer, your level of force against no force for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. The deliberate and different standard on not looking into things that the public was telling the officers. Look, he can't breathe. Look, looks like there's blood coming out of his mouth. No reaction from the office officers' deliberate indifference. One of the officers even stated, I think it's best if uh, we stand him up and uh, later on, that's what one of the lawyers said, uh, he was ignored by the lead officer. And uh, so we discussed all that. Atlanta Police Chief Resigns following officer shooting and the subject And um, we discussed that in totality. Atlanta mayor running amok. You know, you get involved in a shooting as a police officer. There's due process. You don't give up your rights. You don't check them in at the door as you come in into the police station. And these people, these officers, not only in this shooting case, but there was another use of force case with six Atlanta officers, dismissed from employment and charged uh, all within 24 hours. And no due process whatsoever. This is a, it's a clown show. So this is um, running amok. Running amok. Occupation of uh, Seattle and its police station and the seven blocks. And, and that nonsense going on there with the aiding and abetting of the mayor and the governor of the state of Washington and the city of Seattle. Shameful. They have a duty, an oath that they took to protect its citizens, which is the paramount standard of government. And they've wiped their rear end with that. So if you just want to live in Seattle and just be like a normal citizen, you can't. You have to live under siege because the elected officials do not want to defend. And protect the Constitution as they swore. Land, a list of mayors in Atlanta, and the last Republican mayor was in 1879. The city of Atlanta's had black mayors for the last 46 years, and now, today, 2020, we're hearing about police reform in Atlanta. Don't know what happened prior to that. Mm. We talked about the deliberate indifference standard and the legal standard. You know, when you know you got to do the right thing and you don't do it. Washington, D.C. A mayor running amuck, also, throwing out the National Guard and declaring Black Lives Matter as the city of D.C. Now, with that movement, there's a mixture of apples and oranges. Some people are a part of that group or the mindset or the hashtag because they believe in the cause. But a lot of those individuals don't know what's behind the group. And that sinister evil there is behind the group that will lead people to eat out of garbage cans in the future like in Venezuela. Shady shady Slim Sharpton uh, came to the rescue with an abundance of white guilt as he pointed his finger and yelled at everybody that was white saying, it's all your fault. Qualified immunity, how that not only protects officers but other government uh, officials and how the Democratic Socialist Party now wants to get rid of it and uh, been on the legal scope for gosh, since the 1960s and uh, no real opposition from the left because there is none. Supreme Court is based out on doctrine not actual law but they haven't attacked it because they have no substance in their argument. So they're trying to do it now and it's actually failing. The eight can't wait B.S. I told you about that. And report writing, the importance of it, and Florida streets become a frying pan. If I put a subject on the street face down as an officer, I cannot be delivered indifference that the temperature is 99 degrees and the sun is boiling on the asphalt and my subject is face down and I'm trying to handcuff them. They're getting third-degree burns. There's got to be some sense of intelligence while conducting an arrest. And my last uh, introductional point is to continue listening to the Radar Cop News segment. Our third and final um, blog, of, you know, blog, you might want to call it, or, or podcast on this type of news will end um, with three episodes as a total. And we break it down, everything that's been happening. And of course, every month, at you the know, end of the month, there will, be the, there will be a Raider Cop podcast news segment. And that you can find on com under the seg- segment of news. And you can... You know, listen, it's not... It, it's, uh, you know, about 35, 40 minutes. Somewhere in, in those areas. But these are difficult times, and we've got to remember you've got to be educated because ignorance is what produces a lot of the nonsense that's happening today. So, to make sure that you're not ignorant in the Word of God, it's time for the Word of the Week. (music) Let The Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And you can find out more on this verse less than 15 minutes every day, every week that we launch this podcast on Wednesdays. It will be under episode 145 and uh, listed also on RadarCopNation.com. And you can just go to the section that says Test Everything 1521. And you can hear me discuss a little bit more on the Word of God. Today we need it more than ever because the times are evil. Scripture says the beginning of birth pains. When people start saying what is bad is good and what is good is bad. So it's time for the main topic and bring out our little clowns because we are about to look at episode 145, The Shit Show, part two. (laughs) Episode one forty five, shit show number two, and we have an outline form of what we're going to talk about, and I'm going to also review three cases for you, and I think it's important more than ever because it's going to show the hypocrisy of government. But we're going to discuss. I, I did. We went through the background of what we did on the first show. What is de-escalation and what that means to the media? We're going to discuss Jeopardy Triangle, what an investigator looks at in a shooting. We're going to briefly discuss due process for civil servants. We're going to look at situational awareness for officers. We're going to also look at concentrating on The scene or the stop, how officers are becoming um, a little too laxadaisical in their felony stops that are causing problems. And, of course, we're going to look at violations or agencies that are under investigation by the Department of Justice... We're going to look at three agencies in specific, and that's going to be the city of Miami Police Department, Chicago Police Department, and, yep, the Seattle Police Department. Prior investigations, what the finding was from the Justice Department. And we're going to ask the question, one, how come we're still in this situation? And two... What did they learn from the investigation? I'm going to tell you what I learned and the premise of each case. And it should educate the listeners a little bit more than the hysteria that you're being told on television. You know, how many statues can you see come down? It's time to pay attention so you can get some ed- education of what's going on. All right, de-escalation. De-escalation. There's two forms of de-escalation. One is a form that is used with people that have mental illness and bringing down the subject from an excited state, hallucinate type of state, into a more calm and realistic form of thinking. And the officer now tries to deal with the subject that most likely has some type of mental illness and bring them into reasonable thinking pattern. This is simply accomplished like having a a usual conversation with a friend, not an enemy. Then there's de-escalation in the form of use of force that while the officer is exhibiting force, the force has a beginning point, a middle point, and an ending point. Usually towards the ending point is where that de-escalation comes in. Two words that mean totally different things. And that I've always seen as a problem. You know, we're going to have a pissing contest. Who came up with the word de-escalation first? but they do not mean the same thing in law enforcement terms. Although my uh, co-host is complaining here in the corner. All right, so my co-host has been de-escalated. And uh, for more on my co-host, you can go to Instagram, a day with Milo. It's day, a day. Oh, no, it's day underscore with underscore Milo. M-I-L-O. All right, so now when we look at the de-escalation model, even when an officer is de-escalating a person in position of defusing a situation, there's a trigger point. And that trigger point is decided by the subject. They're the ones that dictate what is occurring in the incident. Let me explain. So the guy is really agitated, the officer comes down, you never want to use terms like calm down, because that, you know, it's going to piss him off more, it's like igniting them. Even the simple touch, you know, the officer puts his hands on, let's say his shoulder or his, his elbow or something, hey, hey, that'll ignite them too. So you're at a pretty good distance and you're just standing there trying to, determine what's going on. And as the person starts to come down into a reasonable form of thinking, that's a proper de-escalation. But let's say that the person or the subject starts to get agitated again and starts taking certain defensive positions, clenched fist, and is a little too close to the officer, the dynamics of the subject is dictating what's going to happen next now if we use body cams we're easily going to document a lot of that position a lot of these body cams are are totally horrible and useless Uh, you either have an officer putting his hand in front of it because he's trying to turn it on it's a, a piss poor method but it is some type of evidence gathering so it has to be used But I wish they were a little bit better positioned. I was never part of my law enforcement career with that crap. We used, there was cameras, but it was not a body camera. But anyway. So the media's expectation of de-escalation is an officer showing up with a pamphlet, giving it to the suspect, and they give a kumbaya hug, and that's the end of the scenario. Two different things not very well explained by anybody because nobody knows what the hell they're saying when they say, we need to teach de-escalation. Yeah, which one? Okay. Jeopardy Triangle has three elements in it. This is in any shooting or deadly force situation. And that is ability, opportunity, and intent. Does the person have the ability to cause harm? Okay. Now, if we look at the incident in Georgia, he wrestled with two officers and disarmed one of them for their taser. The answer would be, ding, yes. The other one is opportunity. Is there an opportunity for deadly or or, or bodily injury or or deadly, or or deadly situation in the incident in? Uh, Georgia, Atlanta, we also saw the wrestling on the ground and all that. That was a potential for great bodily harm. So the answer would be, ding, yes. Then we, when he ran away, we don't know, because the subject has not been searched, he was never handcuffed, does he have another form of a weapon on him? knife or a gun. Now, he disarmed the officer. We believe that the officer giving chase knew that. We don't know. He was supposed to, in the dynamics of the use of force, realize that the taser was disp- uh, displaced twice or shot at, shot twice, and that it, no, it's rendered useless, supposedly. But it's not his taser, so these are very difficult things to try to determine. Subject is running away from the officer. The officer cannot see what this subject is doing as he's running away. And he turns pointing an object. Did he knew it was a taser? We'll never know. We believe? No. We don't. For a fact, is he knew it was a deadly situation whether it was taser, a gun, but he knew something because this guy had, has advocated trouble since he started resisting physically the officers. The officer shot him within 18 feet. Shootings are reasonable within 21 feet. So thank you for the state attorney of, the district attorney of Atlanta for approving the officer's case. What a douchebag! Well, he—he's coming. That—that douchebag, the district attorney of Atlanta's coming in on episode three, possibly four. What a what a character that idiot is! So, in the in the Jeopardy triangle, I was told by very experienced homicide detectives in the jurisdiction that I used to work in that officer-involved shootings probably take them less than an hour to determine if they are justified if those three elements are there. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the end of the case, but it gives them a good intel as to what they have so far, and then they just continue to put it together. Witnesses, videotaping, um, distance, um, a lot of them are trained with force signs, and we'll explain that before we end here. And so they know that some things are very realistic. We'll put it like that. So Ability, Opportunity, and Intent were, was created in the Jeopardy Triangle through the International Chiefs of Police as a standard. So police agencies from around the world came up with that type of standard that in any police shooting that involves great bodily harm or death that three those three standards should be there and we use that here in america and even the supreme court has declared its use which in in a lot of their reasonable standards all right uh due process uh, mayor of Atlanta, you're fired. Civil service has enjoyed a pretty good, comfortable living when it comes to um, protections of law, just like anybody else, any other profession or any other citizen. But apparently in the last couple of weeks, we've noticed that officers have to check their civil rights in and be dismissed. These officers that are being fired and terminated, if you actually believe that these cases are going to withstand a judicial checklist, you're nuts. These officers are all coming back to duty. Maybe not, maybe they'll accept coming back, but they're probably going to leave the agency they, work, they used to work for, but they're going to win these cases. So, These stupid decisions are only going to ignite the community again later. Just like the DA and those initials can stand for something else in Atlanta with 11 charges that they're going to beat and walk away. And everybody's going to get all pissed off and they're going to burn the city down to the ground because they were sold a bunch of lies. Not only by the DA, but by the media itself. Situ- situational awareness. Officers have to be really keen, more than ever now, what they're about to step into. A lot of officers are being uh, suckered into going to specific calls and uh, you know, shots fired or whatever, and they get in there and there's a group of hooligans waiting for them. So... Of course, I'm sure there's cameras positioned, cell phones positioned, just in case the officer uses inappropriate force. So situational awareness of officer safety and what you're walking into. And then concentrate on on what you're doing as an officer. I've looked at a lot of these video feeds on officers doing felony stops, and it just goes on and on. Where are you going you know? and, and why? The, and and I know, well, this is the way you do a felony. It, it used to be. You got it? Think out of the freaking box. Get out of the box. You're going to stay suffocated in the box. Guy did a uh, illegal left turn or stop sign or red light or whatever it is. Stop them, pull them out, license registration, run them. Don't got no warrants, no nothing here. I don't need to continue doing J.G. Hoover because the potential of an exploding situation is there. Not saying, well, then you're not doing your full duty. No, I didn't say that. You stopped them for a given purpose. Do that purpose. Do the necessary functions of your job like license and registration. When you go back to your car, what are you doing? You're checking to see if he's legit. And if he passes all those tests, then get moving. There are other calls waiting, okay? Especially now. I want to talk a little bit about, and we're going to go into the three cases that I was talking about. I want to talk about an individual that I met during the course of my employment when I was doing um, civil rights civil rights case that the Justice Department was trying to put on the agency that I was employed for and he was hired in our case as a consultant but he had done investigations for a lot of other agencies and found malfeasance, misfeasance, and abuses of civil rights. His name is Charles Grubber. And for 40 years, he was a police officer, a retired Marine. Well, there is no such thing as a retired Marine, but he was in the Marine Corps, became a police officer 40 years. 32 of those 40 years, he was a police chief in various agencies. And then he took a position with the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division since 2001 and doing investigations on agencies on pattern and practices of civil rights abuses. Some of the named cases that he was a part of was Cincinnati, Miami, Schenectady, New York, Providence, Rhode Island, Austin, Texas, Maricopa County in Arizona, New Orleans, Seattle, and we've heard of Seattle, and Portland, and many more, and uh, I had the pleasure of teaming up with him on the consultant aspect several times, and we became uh, good friends. I don't want to say, you know, we didn't have dinner parties together, but uh, I got a lot of wealth of information from him. Uh, I was an instructor in use of force. And I remember he told me, you know, let me take a look at the stuff you got. And not on a professional level, just on a personal level. And it gave me very little critique, but uh, said I was overall, I was on point. And I never forgot that. You know, he wasn't really hired for that, but he did it because he believed deeply in proper education of officers. So I bring this up, and I'm going to bring up two cases before we get to those three um, Department of Justice cases I talked about, which are Miami PD, Seattle PD, and um, the last one. I forgot. Oh, Chicago PD. Now, I'm gonna give you a story that he he told us once in in a training session. And the story was about the Department of Justice had dispatched him to a specific agency, I'm not gonna mention, and to investigate a pattern, practice and pattern on the midnight tour. Okay, of that agency on felony stops. And usually if the suspect ran or fled police, they ended up in the emergency room. So when he came down with the proper credentials and introductions because he's sent by the U.S. attorney of that given area, he was afforded all the information. They didn't, they didn't try to hide anything or cover anything up. He looked at it and he said you know in a very short period of time he concluded this is a you know, a pattern here it's this midnight shift the, you the know, last tour it's happening at certain hours certain district he can even pinpoint certain type of squads that are doing this so on a chief level or supervisory level He doesn't understand why it's not being picked up and why he's there. So he took the opportunity and he said, you know what, I think I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna speak to the chief of police. He explained in the course that the reason he wanted to do that was, sometimes as a chief, you don't really know what's going on underneath you. You think you do, but you don't. And these practices could be on that one given sector or tour or what have you, and the chief might not be in tune. There's a lot of things going on in the chief's office, so it's more difficult to see the full scope. So he takes the opportunity, meets with the chief, and tells him, hey, look, this is what's going on, and this is a clear pattern here and practice. What do you want to do about it? I don't want to do anything about it. So he thought that was alarming because look you know this is the opportunity to close the, this book and move on and the chief didn't have anything further to say so he had no other recourse than to call the u.s attorney and say well start the paperwork we got a live one they put the 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 hit on the the agency they felt the pain they wanted to make the pain go away U.S. Attorney comes in with uh, Mr. Grubber, and they were going to have a meeting at this meeting. He has his command staff there, and they basically talk about the allegations against them and all that. And The chief kind of interrupts and says, look, we're um, pressed for time, so you want me to sign something? Just go ahead and give it to me so I can get this over with. So the U.S. attorneys, which was about two or three of them that were there, you know, deputy U.S. attorneys, they ran up, gave them the paperwork, and the jurisdiction's attorney were there. They had looked up, you know, prior to this, they had already known what they were going to uh, be facing. And he signs away. So Mr. Gruber says, you know what, I, I, I really got to talk to this chief now because we could have avoided all this stupidity months ago when i met him in his office and he asked him chief you got a minute and he pulled over to the side and he told him why do we why do we have this dance why couldn't we have settled this when i first came to you we, we wouldn't have got to this level he goes look bottom line is you caught us that's it so the standard of the practice of this agency and the pattern was sanctioned from the top because they thought it was a way of policing. So, are all police departments golden? No, of course not. You know, some of these Department of Justice investigations also include hospitals, you know, adult living facilities. There's corruption everywhere you go. So when you look at that, that kind of really gives you an idea. I wish I could talk more about that. One more point because I'm 43 minutes into the show and uh, I got to go through the three courses, cases. We were talking about in one of the courses about reviewing, office having the ability to review footage. Now, the agency head did not want, Officers the ability to review review the footage of what occurred and then write the report. When he's asking the question, this is a room full of internal affairs investigators. They investigate police and misconduct. And he goes, you do allow the officers to look at the footage, don't you? And when he turns around, he's fixing the projector or something. And when he turns around, he sees everybody nodding no. He goes, no, what? No, we don't allow them to see the footage. And he goes, who came up with that cockamamie idea? So his position was, it makes a better uh, report writer out of the officer. In other words, if the officer threw a left jab and he sees it on video, can the officer make the left jab disappear? No, he can't. Still there. So... It just makes it, the agency look more professional. The investigation is not tainted because he saw it. But anyway, that goes to show you uh, how his mindset was. All right, we're going to look at these three agencies. I'm going to do some reading about them so you can get an idea and then give you the premise. And uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to educate you a little bit of how the Department of Justice Investigated these cases. So let's take a, a first swing at this. All right, we're going to start off with the Chicago Police Department. And the finding letter from the Department of Justice is dated January 13, 2007. On December 7, 2015, the United States Department of Justice, Civil Rights Division, Special Litigation Section, and the United States Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Illinois is jointly initiated an investigation into the Chicago Police Department and an APRA. That's basically what these investigations are called. The investigation was to undertake to determine whether the Chicago Police Department is engaged in a pattern and practice of unlawful conduct. If so, was what systematic deficiencies or practices within the CPD and the city might have uh, facilitated or caused this pattern in practice. Nothing less. we found reasonable cause to believe that the Chicago Police Department engaged in a pattern and practice of unreasonable force in violation of the Fourth Amendment and that the deficiencies in the CPD training, supervision, accountability and other systems have contributed to the pattern or practice CPD has not provided officers with adequate guidance to understand how and when they may use force or how to safely and effectively control and resolve encounters to reduce the need to use force. CPD often does not appropriately supervise officers to identify dangerous tactics or behaviors that may indicate officers need additional training or other intervention. CPD also does not review its force practices as a whole to identify problematic trends or patterns that engage in danger officers and others. When officers use force, CPD often does not adequately review those forces force incidents to determine whether the force was used complied with laws or cpt cpd policy or other whether the tactics the officer used were safe and effective consequently the officers are asked to perform a dangerous job with insufficient guidance to whether the force practice are safe effective or legal these failures have resulted in cpd engaging in a pattern of practice of using force in a manner that is unconstitutional, contrary to the department's policy and unsafe, inappropriate use of force by the police, even when no lasting physical injury is involved, results in fear and distrust for many of the people whom the police are committed to protect and whom the police need As partners in in that effort. CPD, pattern of unlawful conduct, is due to part in deficiencies in training and supervision. Now, a lot of what they're basically saying is that officers are poorly trained and there's basically no supervision on what they're doing. So when we look at police reform, police reform. And you, you know, that you want to stick it to the police officer, the, the poor guy walking the beat or patrolling a certain sector. It's a lot of these chiefs and major uh, supervisors or executives in the agency, which are out to lunch. So that's Chicago. We're going to keep on moving here because we're kind of limited on time. And I wanna hit now use of force with uh, Seattle Police Department dated December 16, 2011. We find that the Seattle Police Department engages in a pattern and practice of using unnecessary or excessive force in violation of the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Section 14141, deficiencies in the agency training policy and oversight with regard to the use of force contributes to the constitutional violations. Officers lack adequate training or policies on when and how to report force and when and how to use many impact weapons, such as batons and flashlights. We also find that uh, starting from the top, CPD supervision supervisors often fail to meet their responsibilities to provide oversight of the use of force by individual officers, command staff does not always provide supervision with clear (laughs) discretion or expectation of how to supervise the use of force. Discriminatory policies. We do not make a finding that Seattle Police Department engages in a pattern of practice or discriminatory policies but our investigation raises serious concern on the issue some SPD policies and practices particularly those related to pedestrian encounters could result in unlawful policies policing sorry Moreover, many community members believe that SPD engages in the discriminatory uh, policing. This perception is rooted in a number of factors, including negative street encounters, recently well-publicized videos of force being used against people of color, incidents of overt discrimination and concern, that the pattern of excessive force disproportionately affects minorities. This perception can significantly undermine the trust necessary for SPD to conduct effective policing in minority communities. The city and the police department needs to thoroughly examine the issue raised and addressed. If, right, for the sake of time, we're going to go to a couple of uh, incidents that the DOJ observed. Um, Officers too quickly resort to using impact weapons such as batons and flashlights. Indeed, we find that when SPD officers use batons, 57% of the time, it's either unnecessary or excessive. SPD officers escalated situations using unnecessary. excessive force when arresting individuals for minor offenses this trend is pronounced in encounters with persons with mental illness and those under the influence of alcohol or drugs this is problematic because SPD estimates that 70% of the use of force encounters involve these populations and lastly uh, multiple SPD officers at the time use unnecessary or excessive force together against a single subject or the excessive use of force incident, we identified 61% of these cases involved more than one officer. So basically, the, the Justice Department now, and there's many more examples on here, are kind of really spelling out what they're doing and this is in 2011. So, ask yourself, and I'll put it on the show notes. Who are the mayors of Seattle from 2011 when all this investigation stuff is happening? That George Floyd died. All right. Next case, uh, we go to the Miami Police Department, July 9th, 2011, and the findings of the Justice Department were from uh, 20 from 08 to 2011. Miami police officers intentionally shot at individuals 33 times. While the number of shootings alone does not itself establish a pattern or practice of unreasonable force, it stands in stark contrast to a 20-month period of 02 to 04 in which there were no Miami Police Department officers involved in shootings at persons. In addition, Miami. Police department have fully investigated only 24 of the 33 shootings incidents between 08 and 2011, and has allowed multiple investigations to remain unfinished for three or years or longer. Or the 17 shootings from 2010 to 2011 period, only 10 have complete completed investigations. Miami Police Department itself determined three of these 10 shootings were unjustified, including one shooting in which the Chief Manuel Orosa reversed the findings of the Firearms Review Board, which had originally found the shooting justified through the entire period of our review. 08 through 11, we identified other shootings that appeared unjustified and may have resulted resulted from tactical or training deficiencies. Finally, a small number of officers were involved in a disproportionate number of shootings. A combination of seven officers participated in over a third of the 33 officer-involved shootings. Had the shooting investigations been completed in a timely fashion, corrective action could have been undertaken in many have prevented the harm that came, that can result from officers repeating shootings such as, such as injury or death to the officer and or subjects, trauma to the officer and others, and costly legal settlements, among other types of harm. Although we appreciate the cooperation of the professionalism of the Miami Police Department pers- personnel, demonstrated during the investigation. Our ability to complete the investigation was delayed by Miami Police Department frequent inability to produce necessary documents in a timely fashion. Delays and productions were attributed to the fact that so many internal investigations were long overdue and could not be reviewed until completed. For example, despite repeat requests being Uh, beginning from our first documented request of December 9th, 2011, and followed-up request dated uh, July 20th, 2012, September 2012, November 2012, we still have not received the complete file of all the the shooting files we requested. It took months for us to receive other shooting investigation files. We requested more timely investigation, better investigation, investigating, tracking, and effective accountability measures would help Miami Police Department to prevent such internal delays and would likely reduce the number of officer-involved shootings going forward. So if you look at these three cases, there's one thing, one premise. It was either training, poor supervision, or delaying in investigations. This is why some agencies now have diverted from the agency itself investigating themselves and handing it to a higher authority like the state police. And because 33 investigations and seven, I mean, you're just dragging your feet. And that in itself causes more hysteria biting the agency in the rear end. These trends are all around the country. Now, I'm not an advocate of these investigations from the Justice Department. I'm an advocate of doing proper policing. And proper policing comes from proper supervision, from the chief on down. When you have chiefs that are making six figures, and they're sitting in their office, and then their assistant chief and the major, and then we go down... The command list, they're not being held accountable for the stupidity that are happening. So you have a group of officers in Miami PD that were identified at about 33% of the shootings. And so that tells you right there, you got the same officers involved in, in a shooting. Something's wrong. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's the thin blue line and all this other crap. You know what it is? It's the thin blue laziness of getting up off your ass and giving proper training. Agencies don't want to spend the money on proper training, proper education, proper equipment, proper supervision and levels of expectations from the first line of supervision is not clearly understood by the line staff. Sergeants, lieutenants, captains, they have a duty to have a relationship with their subordinates, and therefore they have to clearly establish their level of expectations enforce. Lack of that produces the shit show. That's why I'm talking. So I don't have enough time to get through For Science. I will post it down on the bottom what they are. It's a group of uh, scientists that have merged together and some with little police background, but they are uh, reviewing you know, shootings and positions, and can I shoot this position? I can shoot that position. A lot of people are saying the all, the subject in Atlanta was shot in the back, and that was wrong. And For Science has a whole study on how a subject could turn, shoot, and by the time you return fire, you've shot them in the back. But that's not what you saw when you pulled the trigger. So, give you a little breakdown on that. Shit show Number three, on the way, our guest will be either both or one or the other, Wonder Woman or Sierra. We will continue playing these shows probably up to number four, and then we'll go back to regular scheduled programming. Why? We live in troubled times, and we need to loudly state what's going on. Education and knowledge is power. Don't be a fool running your mouth if you don't know policing. It's a lot more detailed than you might think. It's a lot more detailed than a news article in the New York Times. This is Alpha Mike. As always, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, for your community. And most importantly, for the agency that serves you, they need your prayers. And continue to pray for our beloved country, the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out. Me too.